Well, hey, great to see you guys this weekend. Want to welcome you to Seacoast Church. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I serve as the lead pastor here at Seacoast, and uh, we're so honored to be back with you. Those of you who are with us uh, back on Facebook or YouTube, we've missed you on those platforms the last couple of weeks as we've been doing the At The Movie series, but we're glad to be back on all of the platforms. Some of you are watching us uh, in your living room or in a car. Maybe you're working out, and we're glad that you guys are here. Some of you are actually in our campus buildings, and I'm excited about that. We're so glad that you guys are with us as well. Give us a shout out if that's you, uh, but man, we are, we are honored to be with you, uh, kicking off a brand new series. Before we jump into the message today, I want to let you know what our plan is for reopening the buildings. Uh, you know, the church hasn't been closed at all. In fact, I told uh, the church last month during First Wednesday, since we have not been able to gather in our buildings, we have seen, because of your generosity, we've been able to give over a million dollars away to local and global missions in this period of time. And so God has continued to, to bless and God has continued to move and it's been great to be a part of that. And in fact, I, I heard a, a cool story even this week from uh, one of our, our friends over at Lieber uh, Correctional Facility. We, we have ministry that happens at Lieber and Allendale and we talk to you guys often and we're glad if you're watching from from there, uh, we're so glad you're part of our family. But got a letter uh, this week from a gentleman who uh, was there. He led a service uh, in the Hampton dorm at Allendale Prison uh, and led a small group. And it was so cool reading through his story. I won't read the whole thing to you, but the bottom line is that one of their friends, one of their inmates named Tommy, uh, had for a long time resisted the message of the gospel. But because of your generosity, because Guys like Jim Wright uh, out at our Somerville campus and Roy Jakes who've come and visited and spent time there uh, over a period of time just before he passed away of lung, lung cancer, Tommy surrendered his life to Christ, gave his life to Christ because of the brotherhood and the ministry of Seacoast through uh, guys like, like Al at the, at the prison. And so we're so thankful for you guys. We're so thankful that you're part of our family and we honor you as well. But man, so the church hasn't been closed. Uh, God is still at work but we are moving towards going back into the buildings and we're so thankful for that. And so for the next couple of weeks, we will be gathering at all of our campuses at 9.30 for prayer. We're entering into a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting and I'll talk to you guys a little bit more about that in a minute. But we're, we're, we're gonna gather at 9.30 in all of our buildings and then at 10 o'clock, we're gonna worship together uh, on the screens mostly, but we're gonna worship together for the next couple of weeks and then we will launch publicly on September 12th and 13th, Saturday night and Sunday morning, which is the culmination of our 21-day fast, and we cannot wait to be back in the building. It'll feel different, it'll look different. Uh, we'll have masks and we'll have social distancing. We will have Kids Coast happening uh, starting on the weekend of September 12th and 13th, and so there's a whole lot more information that you can get at seacoast.org health, and we'll throw that in the comments section for those of you there. But we'll continue to have services online as well, and so many of you, for whatever reason, may not be able to get back into the building as soon as others, and just know that we will continue to have opportunities to connect with you online. Uh, but man, I'm excited about this new series. I hope you're ready to jump in to God's Word. And here's what I want to start off by just reading a couple of passages out of John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair 
So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified in it. This sickness will not end in death. You know, we're starting a brand new series of conversations called It's Not Over. And I'd love for you in the chat or wherever you are, if you're in a building, just say that out loud right now. It's not over. You can type it in the chat. You can say it out loud. It's not over. And that is the message that we want to talk to you guys about for the next couple of weeks. And I'm not talking about COVID-19 is not over. I'm not talking about our problems aren't over. But, but here's the reality. 2020 has been a, a, a really good year for a small number of people, but for most of us, it's been really, really challenging. And many of us are facing all kinds of situations and circumstances in our lives. And, and we want you to know, and God's word is going to show us that, that we can experience a comeback story. It's, it doesn't have to be over. The story is not written yet on the year 2020. And I believe that if we will turn to God's word, if we'll apply his word in our lives, we can experience an incredible turnaround that's not related to or, or affected by the circumstances that happen out there, but we can experience and be a part of a comeback story. You know, it's been a, a difficult year in a lot of different ways, but one of the hardest things for me has been not having sports. I mean, come on. Uh, does anybody else agree with me there? Just not having sports to watch. It's an outlet and it's, it's hard. Some of you are, maybe you're going, ah, I don't really watch sports. Or maybe you're married to somebody who watches sports, but you don't. So you're like, no, it hadn't been that hard for me. Well, let me tell you, the fact that your husband has been really grumpy, it, it means that you've missed sports. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that it's an outlet for us. And, and we haven't been able to watch some of these great comeback stories in sports, and we all love a good comeback, right? I wanna ask you, what's your favorite comeback story? Yeah, I have a lot of them, but one of them that comes to mind, I was thinking about this this week, and it happened, I think it was back in 1994. It was Colorado University against Michigan, played at the Big House in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it was my favorite team at the time, Colorado, and they were down, and they had the ball. They had one more play from their own 25 yard line. They needed 75 yards. They needed a miracle to experience their comeback. I want you to watch with me as we enjoy this again. For the defense, I'd have a few more guys over there. Three wide ops at the top of the picture. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a Incredible, right? Incredible 75-yard pass. It gets batted around, and Michael Westbrook grabs it in the end zone, and Colorado, the University of Colorado, the lowly University of Colorado, wins this massive game. And I showed that clip for you for a couple of reasons. One, back in the day, that was my favorite football team. So I was probably 13 years old at the time, and just watching that, it was such a huge moment for my childhood. The other reason I show that for you is that if you are fans of either one of those two teams, that's the only time you're going to see them play this year because they're not playing football this year. So I just want to help you out in that way. But, but we love good comeback stories. We haven't been able to watch them. We've had to kind of jog our own memories. And, and as many of you probably know, just based on my own physique, I was an athlete you know, back in high school. I was a basketball player. I fit the profile, right? Uh, in fact, actually, um, my senior year, 
they did these senior class predictions for each student. And mine, I remember they said that like sometime later in life, I would finally get that growth spurt that I've been praying for and make it to the NBA. Well, it still hasn't happened yet, but I loved playing basketball. And I'll never forget one of those stories from my high school basketball career. In fact, Sean, would you toss me that ball? I've, I brought a ball. Just I want to showcase some of my skill. Uh, for, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, I, I did play basketball. That's a key thing to remember. But I'll never forget, it was my sophomore year in high school, my first year uh, on varsity team. And we had a game down in Hilton Head. Shout out to our Hilton Head campus. I'm just kidding. We don't have a Hilton Head campus. But we do have a lot of you that watch from Hilton Head. But we were playing Hilton Head prep. And this was a big game for a couple of reasons. One, it was a conference game. Uh, we felt like we had a chance to beat them. And, and more importantly, though, word got out to us as we were driving on the bus down to Hilton Head that the famous, the one and only singer, rock rocker, I would say, John Cougar Mellencamp was going to be in attendance for this game. His daughter was a cheerleader for Hilton Head Prep, and, uh, and he, she was actually singing the national anthem that day. And so he was going to be there. So this was our moment to shine in front of a celebrity, you know, you know, we just assumed all celebrities know people. He probably knows basketball people. This could be our chance for scholarship, right? And so we go down there, <coughs> and we're, excuse me, we're super excited to be playing against them. And um, needless to say, the first half didn't go very well. The first half just did not go very well. We made some turnovers that we normally wouldn't make, and they start scoring, and their crowd gets into it, and now they're cheering, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves going into halftime and we are down 23 points at halftime. Now, now listen, I know some of you may not get this. You see comebacks. But in high school sports, if you're down 23 points at halftime, it's because you are overmatched. And it means that you're likely going to lose by 46, 50 points. It's just not a good situation. And so we go into halftime. And I remember walking into this, this guest locker room, and, and we're down, and we're discouraged. And you don't want to go back out there and play the second half. You know, I mean, you're just like, you're trying to figure out, how do I get out of here? You feel ashamed. I, I want to get out of here just with my pride intact. And I remember we got into the, the locker room before the coach did, and there's guys fighting with each other. And, man, what are you doing? Why'd you do that? And, you know, you're just, you're just bummed. You're ready to quit. And I'll never forget our coach came in. He happens to also be our founding pastor here at Seacoast. He comes into the locker room, and he, and he says, guys, I need you to believe something. I need you to believe that it's, it's not over. The game is not over. And you'd have thought that he was, you know, speaking another language. It was like, okay, yeah, I know you're the coach. You have to, you have to say that. But he, but he said, no, listen, I've been watching this, and here's what's happening. They have played out of their minds. That team is not as good as they look. They've made shots that they normally don't watch. I've watched the film. They can't do that for the rest of the game. And you guys have played terrible. <laughs> you guys have uncharacteristically played Terrible. You're turning the ball over. You're, you're missing shots that you would normally make. You're fighting with each other. And, and, and we also have had some calls not go our way. And so if you guys would begin to believe in your heart of hearts that this game isn't over, we have a chance to win the game. And so what happens, right? Over, over a period of time of my five-minute speech at halftime, we begin to start to believe that the game wasn't over, that maybe it was possible for us to go out there and make a comeback. And so we go out there, and, and actually, I had not played much of the first half. I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but I did get in in the second half and uh, made a couple of threes, and, and all of a sudden, we go into the fourth quarter, and, and we're down by 13. We've cut the lead by 10 points. And, and sure enough, we get a couple of turnovers. 
Uh, we, we, we make a couple of baskets. Now we're down by one point. There's about five seconds left on the clock. And my brother, Jason Surratt, he's the point guard. Now let me ask you something. What is the job of a point guard? It's to pass the ball, right? All he needed to do was find me. I was open outside of the arc, ready to hit a three to win by two. And Jason, what does he do? He doesn't pass it to me. He dribbles and he drives into the lane. Now, Jason was about an inch shorter than me. We had no business being in the lane with all of the tall guys, but he drives into the lane and he tries to make this acrobatic layup and he misses the shot at the buzzer. But the ref calls a foul. And so Jason is now going to the free throw line uh, with no time left on the clock. We're down by one, two free throws. And Jason was a great athlete. He was quick. He was shifty. He made great passes, but, but he wasn't a great shooter. But Jason walks up to the free throw line and he sinks the first one, tie game. And then he, he, he gets the ball back. He takes the shot and he makes it. And he makes it. We win by one point. We beat Hilton Head Prep in front of John Cougar Mellencamp, right? You know, uh, take that little ditty by Jack and Diane. I mean, I think he may have written it. No, he probably didn't based on that inspiration. But we win the game. We experience a comeback. And, you know, it's what, 20, 25 years later, and I'm still talking about it because it was this moment. We love a good comeback story. And here's my heart for you. Here's my prayer for you during this season and during this series. I, I don't know what deficit you're facing right now, but I do know that it's 2020. And I know that there are many of us that right now, if we were to evaluate the score in our own life, we would say, you know what? I'm, I'm down. I feel like I'm down. There's an insurmountable margin that I'm not going to be able to overcome. It might be in your marriage where you feel like, you know what, I need a comeback. You're at a place right now where he or she has said, I don't want to be married anymore. I don't love you anymore. And there is a deficit. Some of us in our finances, maybe you have lost a job during the season or your, your business, your dream that at one point seemed like it was going really well. You feel like you're facing a deficit and you're wondering if, if that victory is even possible for you. There are some of you that are facing deficits in relationships and friendships. I don't know where it is, but here's my hope for you during this series, that you would begin to believe, much like we needed to believe at halftime, that it's not over. It's not over, that with God, all things are possible. And so, so I want to jump into this week's message, studying the, the story of Lazarus. And, and, and what can we learn about a comeback? What can we learn about a comeback. You know what? The first, first thought that I want, want us to talk about for a couple of minutes is why do we lose hope? Why, why do we sometimes enter into the locker room of our lives believing that it's over, believing that the marriage is over, in some cases, believing that the best days of our life are over, believing that our impact is over? A couple of thoughts for us. Number one, the scoreboard, right? The scoreboard, sometimes just looking at the score, we tend to fill in the rest of the story. We see how the game has played out up to this point in our lives. We look at the scoreboard and we begin to, to fill in the blanks on how the second half is going to happen. You know, I think about the year 2020, right? We've already labeled it as a, a year that, to forget, right? A year that we don't want to remember because it's been so rough. And, and we still have several months left in this year. 
right? But we begin to fill in the story. Well, we have an election coming, and that's going to be crazy. And you know what? It probably will be. But we have to begin to believe that it's not over, that the story hasn't been written on our lives. And so as we jump in, I want you to just begin to assess in your own heart, in your own mind, what scoreboard have you been watching that's caused you to lose hope? Could it be the scoreboard in your finances, in your marriage? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's related to a child of yours, that man, you've done the best that you can, but, but they have turned their back on you. They've turned their, your, their back on, on God. And right now, it feels like in the scoreboard, you're behind. I wanna encourage you, don't fill in the blanks on the second half. Don't limit what you can believe God for in the second half of, of this story based on what's happened in the first. The scoreboard can cause us to lose hope. Another reason that we lose hope is the people that we listen to, the people that we listen to. When I think back on that game at Hilton Head Prep, you know, there are a lot of different voices, right? A lot of different voices coming at us. And as we're walking to the halftime, uh, the crowd wasn't very supportive, right? We were playing an away game. We were not on our home turf. And, 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 and the stuff that they were chanting, the stuff that they were saying, it didn't lead us to want to have hope. The cheer, even our own cheerleaders, right? You're looking at them and it's like they're, they're more sympathetic than, than hopeful. Have you ever seen that with, the, with a, a cheerleader? It's like, ah, oh, you know, we're gonna be peppy and happy, but you can tell they, they, don't, they don't believe it's gonna happen, right? Your own voices, I found that some of the, the toughest ones to overcome are our own voices. The soundtrack that's playing in our head, we get our thoughts fixed on a negative thought and it takes us down this cycle. But, but some of us, have been listening to the wrong voices in our lives. You know, um, there's a saying that says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think that saying is true. You know, you, you, you show me who you're hanging out with and it's likely gonna shape your future. But here's what I would say. Show me your friends and I'll show you your present. I'll show you why some things are happening the way they are right now in your life. Why are some people so hopeful? You know, I would say a big part of it is you're probably hanging out with people who are hopeful. Maybe you're in a small group, and that's why small groups are such a big deal here at Seacoast. We wanna surround ourselves with people that when everybody else says, you know what, bail out on the marriage, it's, it's hopeless. You, you know what, that dream that you've been dreaming about, forget about it, it's not gonna happen. There are so many negative voices, but if you'll get into a small group, you'll surround yourself with people who will believe for God's word above your circumstances in your life. And, and you wonder, why is that person so joyful? Why are they so hopeful? It's because they're surrounding themselves with people who are hopeful. It's because they're, they're listening to the morning encouragement every week, right? Shameless plug. But do that. You're gonna hear a voice of encouragement instead of discouragement. And, and of course, there's all of the voices on social media and the media that, that speak into our lives. And, and we're getting ready to do a fast, 21 days of prayer and fasting. We normally don't tell you what to fast. But I wanna strongly encourage all of us, all of us for 21 days, it begins on sundown this weekend, Sunday night, all of us, let's fast negativity in our lives. Let's commit for 21 days. We're gonna do the very best we can. We're probably gonna fall short at times, but we're gonna fast saying negative things. We're gonna fast being a negative person, but we're also gonna fast listening to negativity in our lives. And for me, I'm gonna cut off the news. And I know some of you work in the news and there's some good news that happens. But by and large, right now, if you watch national news, there are some of you, there are some networks that you just need to fast. It is not good for you. 
It's, it's voices that are coming into your lives and it's causing you to lose hope. And so let's do that together, 21 days. And we're gonna be gathering together Monday through Thursday in the mornings at 7 a.m. Uh, for an encouraging word. You can get there on our website, uh, on, on the same platform that many of you are watching right now, our church online platform, uh, to, to join us for an encouraging word for, for the voice of God in our lives so that we can limit the negative voices that are causing us to lose hope. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You know, not every relationship in your life right now is good for you, is beneficial for you. There are some of us that we really need to evaluate some relationships in our lives, and I'm not saying be ungodly towards them or be rude to them, but there are some voices that you just need to cut off. You just need to say, bye, Felicia, right? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm out. I don't need that negativity in my life because you are suffering. You are suffering harm because of the voices of people in your lives. And again, that's why small groups are so important here at Seacoast. And we are launching groups right now. We wanna encourage every one of you to be a part of a small group. If you wanna jump into a small group, just text the word CONNECT to 320-320. And we'll invite you, we'll probably invite you to an inside track where you can learn more about the church and you can learn more about how to take those next steps. So you may just already have done that, but you're like, I need to get connected in a group. Do that and fill out that connect card. And we would love to help you find a group of people that are gonna speak life into your life because we lose hope because of the scoreboard, because of negative voices in our lives. And, and the last reason that we lose hope is the, is the opponent. The opponent. And I'm not talking about Hilton Head Prep, right? I'm not talking about your spouse, okay? Some of you, as soon as I said the opponent, you put, the, no, that's not your opponent. The opponent isn't the, the Republicans or the Democrats or even the Russians or the Chinese, right? We've, we've been so uh, brainwashed to think that our opponent is another person. But man, I believe one of the biggest factors right now in our country and some of the challenges and the division that we've been facing is that we have an enemy of our souls that is constantly at work, waiting for opportunities to get us to believe a lie about ourselves, to get us to believe a lie about other people, to get us to believe a lie about our future. And he wants nothing more than for us to go into the rest of this year being hopeless. Look at 1 Peter 5 and verse eight. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's what the enemy is doing. He's, he's just waiting. He's prowling around. He's speaking into your ear. You know, hey, that person's mad at you. That person doesn't, that person didn't notice you. That, and we have an enemy that is stirring up division. It is stirring up disunity in the church even, and certainly in the world. And we have to recognize that we have an opponent, that, that we have somebody that is striving. I don't want to give him more credit than he has. It says he prowls around like a roaring lion. He doesn't have the power of a roaring lion, but he wants us to, to think that he does. And his power is in getting us to believe something that's not true about ourselves, about our future, or about our God. Second Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And just being fully transparent with you, I'm afraid. I'm afraid as well for, for me, 
for us that just like the serpent deceived Eve, many of us have been deceived. And we bought into narratives that speak to division, that speak to hopelessness, that speak to fear and anxiety in our lives. And I wanna remind you, you have an opponent. And part of the reason that some of us feel hopeless right now is because we've been listening and playing into his schemes. And so, 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 so we lose hope because of the scoreboard, because of the other voices in our lives and because of our opponent. But let's turn this thing around, right? How do we experience a 2020 turnaround? And we're gonna jump back in to the story, but I wanna, I wanna show you three things out of this story that ought to give us hope for the future. Number one, if I'm gonna experience a, a 2020 turnaround, I need to remember that Jesus is deeply moved by my circumstances. Remember that, that Jesus is deeply moved by my circumstances. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say, pretend like my circumstances are better than they really are. You know, that's what some people do. That's kind of my wiring is like, you know what? I just want to believe. That I'm not saying to act like your circumstances are better than they are. See, don't deny the reality. Don't pretend like things are okay. We have to grieve our current circumstances. It doesn't help to tell yourself a fake story about what's really going on. That actually happened in this story. Uh, in John 11, verse 14, uh, the disciples had said, hey, you know, he's fallen asleep. Uh, that's okay. It's not a big deal. He'll wake up when we get there. And Jesus actually had to bring some very difficult truth to the situation, reality. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And you know, for the things that we're going through in our lives, for the areas that are dead, it doesn't serve us at all to keep acting like they're alive. What serves us is when we actually acknowledge the reality of what we're going through. Because the fact that our, 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 we're experiencing a loss or maybe we're at a deficit in our lives, once we come to terms with that and realize this is where I'm at right now, this is the facts that I'm facing, it, it invites Jesus to enter into and to be deeply moved by our circumstances. I love John eleven thirty three. 33. Uh, later on in the story, when he gets there, he finally gets there. By the way, he was a couple days late, right? According to their standards, he didn't come right away. And many times in our circumstances and our losses, we feel like, God, where are you in this? Where are you in this? But in his timing, at just the right time, he shows up onto the scene. And it says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, this was Mary and Martha, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus saw their circumstances and he wept. He was moved. And you know, it's, a, it's, it's flesh, it's, it's a fulfillment of what we know that God already said back in the book of Psalms. It says that God is near the brokenhearted. Until we acknowledge our places of brokenness, we're delaying the healing that we need for the comeback. You know, coach didn't walk into our locker room back at Hilton Head Prep and say, hey guys, let's just pretend like the score's tied. You know, let's pretend like we're winning. You know, maybe we'll just, let's, it, we'll just try to win the second half. No, like you had to acknowledge we're facing a deficit here right now. And, and, and the Bible says that when we are hurting, when our hearts are broken, when we choose not to just stuff it, we open ourselves up to the, the reality of our circumstances that Jesus comes near and that Jesus 
is deeply, deeply moved. So what are the circumstances that you're facing? Maybe it's a diagnosis for you. And the facts are the facts. The doctor's not lying to you. The doctor's not out to get you. You just have to face the facts. This is what I'm dealing with, God. I'll never forget a couple years ago when I was facing the prospect of losing somebody that I loved dearly. They had gotten a diagnosis, a death sentence. And we were in the middle of processing this and I was trying to be strong for my family. And I was trying to play tough on the exterior and this is gonna be okay and kind of doing the thing that a pastor does to kind of bring hope to the situation. I wasn't faking it. Uh, there was faith in that, but I wasn't also dealing with my own emotions. And I'll never forget, I dropped my daughter off. She was in preschool. Uh, and I drop her off in the hallway and I'm saying goodbye to her. And her teacher looks at me, uh, Miss Emily um, at, at PCA. And she just says, hey, Josh, how are you doing? And my lips started quivering and I just lost it. I just started crying. You know, she, I think she was like, oh gosh. You know, I, did, I wasn't expecting that, but I just hit this point where how am I doing? Like that, that, I know that's just a casual question that we ask in our conversations, but in that moment, it felt like it exposed everything going on inside of me. I'm not doing well at all. I am hurting and I am broken. And, and I kind of got myself together, apologized, and she, you know, prayed for me. It's okay. And I got in my car, and it was in that moment in my car, I put on some worship, and I just let it all out. I said, God, this is where I'm at. I can't fix this. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be here. I can't solve this problem. And, and, and in that moment, I just poured myself out to him. You know what I sensed immediately was the closeness of God, the nearness of God, that he, he draws near. He is near to the broken so as we acknowledge the scoreboard, as we say, you know what, this is something I'm facing right now. Be encouraged that Jesus is deeply moved by your circumstances. You know, in my circumstance, it actually ended up with a miracle. And that loved one is alive and well right now. And we celebrate that. And we thank God for that. But you know, the miracle I needed most in that moment, it was that peace that came over that vehicle. It was that hope that you know what, I don't know how this is gonna turn out, but God, you're gonna walk with me through it. And it was knowing that God was deeply moved by my circumstances. And if we're gonna have a turnaround story this year, if we're gonna experience a comeback this year, we gotta take heart in knowing that Jesus is deeply moved by our circumstances. Second thing that we need to do is apply God's word to my situation. Apply God's word to my situation situation. Let's jump back into the story of Lazarus. At this point, we've, he's, he's dead. He has died. He's been dead for a couple of days. Jesus is deeply moved by the circumstances, but Lazarus is still dead. But you know, one word from God changed everything in this story. And one word from God can change everything in ours as well. Verse 38 through 43, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there is a bad odor. Like she's so caught up in just the practical nature of this God that well, Jesus, what you're saying, it doesn't make any sense. There's an odor around this death that we've experienced. He's been there for four days. Then Jesus said in verse 40, did I not tell you 
that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people that are standing here. This whole circumstance, it was, it was for the benefit of the people that were standing there. And you know what? It's for the benefit of us today to look at it and to learn from it, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, verse 43, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. It was God's word. It was a pertinent word applied in that situation that ultimately led to a resurrection and to a turnaround story. See, in this case, God's word was an invitation to come out of the grave literally for Lazarus. And that just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds incredible. But you know what? When, when the voice of God is the very voice, the very words that put this entire world into existence, why couldn't he bring life from death? And ultimately, that's Jesus's invitation to you and I today, that we would come out of the grave. That for some of us, the, the grave of our own sin, the grave of hopelessness, the grave of our past, the grave of 2020, that he would speak his word and say, Josh, come, come out of that grave. Come enter a new life with me. And man, I'm praying this weekend, I've been praying for several weeks, that this would be a weekend for many of you, that you would respond to God's word, his invitation that says, hey, come out of the grave. Surrender your life to me. Let me give you new life. Let me exchange the death of your sin and the stench of your sin for a new life in Christ. And in just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. And you don't have to understand all of theology. You just have to know that Jesus is God. He was the son of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He came in human form and he lived a sinless life and he died on a cross and he was put into a tomb. You know, in some ways, he, he pulled Lazarus out of the tomb so that he could go into the tomb, taking all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our heartache with him to the grave. And then in three days, he would come out of the grave into new life so that we could experience new life in him. All we have to do is say, Jesus, I, I surrender my life to you. I wanna turn from my sin. I wanna turn from my evil ways and I wanna, I wanna surrender my life to you. We have to apply God's word to our situation. Come out of the grave. For some of us, it's a hopeful word. <laughs> it's, man, I've got new life for you. I've got a future for you. Yeah, for some of us, it's a corrective word. We don't only get to apply God's word when it's something we, we like, right? In many cases, we need to apply our life to God's word. And some of the, the deficit that we're facing may be because we, we just aren't living our lives and doing things according to God's perfect and pleasing will for our lives. And we've seen him as somebody who wants to take away joy or take away fun when actually he wants us to live a life that is full, that is abundant, and is the enemy that we believed as lies. And so sometimes it's a corrective word, word from God. And so I just wanna encourage you with this. How do we hear God's voice? How do we know God's will? How do we apply God's word? Some of you are on this new journey. You know, in our series, you know, it's not over. For many of you, you're in the very beginning of a journey 
with God. And I'm so excited that we're launching in the next couple of weeks, Alpha. And Alpha is simply a place where any of us that have questions about our faith, who is God? Who is Jesus? How do I know God's will for my life? How do I know God's word? And it'll be done digitally, so you don't, you'll be able to do it online. But I, I'm hoping that many, many of us will jump in and say, you know what, I got questions. And it's a safe place. There are no uh, stupid questions in Alpha, right? We're all kind of on a level playing field. And if you wanna be a part of that, I wanna encourage you to text Alpha to 320-320, and we will invite you to be a part of this journey of exploring what does it look like to apply God's word in my own life. One last thought for us, if we're gonna experience a turnaround. One last thought. Don't forget to take off the grave clothes before you enter the new season. Don't forget to take off the grave clothes before you enter the new season. You know, uh, verse 44, Jesus said, come out of the grave, and the dead man came out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, and that's an important word, them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Don't forget to take off the grave clothes. What are grave clothes? You know, the, the best English word to present uh, the Greek word for grave clothes is literally wrappings. I've got one of these ace bandages. And if you can imagine, uh, they, they, they wrap a body because they want to preserve the body as long as they can. And it's kind of a foreign concept for us, right? But it's what they did back in those days. They wanted to keep him wrapped to preserve that which was dead. And, and Jesus looks at Lazarus and he comes out. And if you can imagine, he's walking around. He's now stepping out of a grave and he's, he's got these wrappings, these bindings, these things that had held him back. And many of us can relate to having been bound by, by some old habits, some old clothes. And Jesus says, it's great that you've come out of the grave, but, but guys, help him get those grave clothes off. He doesn't need to take those into this new season of living for him. And I don't know about you, but when I responded to God's word in my life, he called me out of the grave. I was 18 years old. <laughs> I was at a small group at Seacoast Church when, when Jesus said, hey, I want, I want Josh, I want you to come out of the grave. I want you to surrender your life to me. And that was great, and it was a new season for me, but, but there are grave clothes that I've held on to, that I carried. Some things went right away, but there are other things that it took a community. It took a group of people to go, hey, you don't know how to unwrap yourself from this, but, but, but we wanna come and be a part of taking off these grave clothes. What are the grave clothes for you? What, what is maybe the sin that has no business coming with you into this new life? It's just like the body had an odor on it. Some of us, we got an odor on us and it's, it's a sin, it's a habit, it's an addiction that was a part of our old life. And Jesus is saying, I don't only want you to come out of the grave, I want you to, to get a new wardrobe as well. I want you to get rid of the grave clothes. And for some of us, it's just gonna mean repenting of sin. And you're saying, you know what, God? I don't wanna bring this with me into this new life. What choices have, have you made that may have left you feeling bound emotionally, spiritually? Grave clothes are anything that is holding us back from living the full life that God has for us. It could be some relationships. It could be some sin issues. But I want to invite you to take off the grave clothes and to move it fully into this 
new life. If you're not dead anymore, you've got no business wearing the grave clothes. They were meant to preserve and, and dignify a dead body. And some of us have still been trying to preserve and dignify sin, dead stuff, stuff that's not bringing life into you. And I believe even in this moment, there are some of you that you have been dabbling with sin. It may be in your marriage. It may be a relationship outside of your marriage. And I don't know how far it's gotten to this point, but I wanna tell you it's grave clothes and you need to take off the grave clothes and you need to step into this new life that God has for you. Some of us, there is a secret issue that you've been dealing with and you've never been able to kick it on your own. And I know that, I know that, that, that journey. I've got a story of my own. And here's what I can tell you. Jesus said not to him, but he said to them, to the community, you need to get yourself in community. You need to bring this into the light and say, I need some people to help me get out of these grave clothes because God has something good for you in the future. And the, the wardrobe that he wants, he wants to dress you and his qualities, his characteristics, and he wants to use you in a mighty, mighty way. So I want us to pray as we close. And as we pray, I'm believing God that it's not over for you. It is not over for you. And I wanna pray, and I wanna pray for a couple of people here today that need to respond to God. Some of us need to respond to God by just coming out of the grave, saying yes to Jesus. And if you're here today, we don't do this. We don't coerce people. We don't have this emotional moment for you. I just want you to reflect, is Jesus calling you out of the grave? Has he been knocking on the door of your heart, inviting you into new life? And for whatever reason, up until this point, you've resisted it. And today is the day for you to say, you know what? Yes, I'm gonna come out of my grave. I'm gonna trust that God is making a way for me, that, 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 that he's, he's, he's got a new life for me. And, and simply saying, yes, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And if that's you, I don't know how you do it. If you write it in the chat, maybe use an emoji to, to raise your hand on our church online platform. You can click, I'm raising my hand. I wanna receive new life today. I wanna come out of the grave today. And I wanna encourage you to do that right now. It doesn't matter how you do it. What matters is that your heart is responding to God and you're saying yes. And there are others of us that are here today that wanna say, you know what, God, I wanna, I wanna leave my grave clothes in the grave. I need to repent of sin. I want help overcoming this addiction. And if that's you, again, I just wanna encourage you in your own way, say, God, I'm, I wanna turn my back on my sin. Lord, I wanna smell like the stench of my past life. Would you clothe me in your righteousness? Because that's what he does, which simply means when he sees you, he doesn't see the stuff from your past. He sees Jesus, what he did for us on the cross and the new life that we have for him. And so we're gonna commit to getting in a small group, to getting surrounded by people who are gonna help us take off the layers that have been binding us so that we can experience a turnaround in 2020. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you. I thank you that it's not over. It's not over, it's not over. Lord, many of us, we are looking at deficits in our lives. We are looking at a scoreboard that doesn't, uh, Lord, look good, but we are coming out of today with a resolve in our hearts and our minds that says it's not over. And we're not just gonna wait for a comeback story, but you have invited us to be a part of it, that we have a part to play in it. So God, help us. Help us to experience your presence, to acknowledge our pain, to acknowledge our deficit, 
not to quit when we're in that deficit, but to acknowledge it and to experience your nearness. And I thank you that you're moved at our pain. And God, we choose today to apply your word to our situation. And for many of us right now, we're saying, God, yes, we're gonna come out of the grave. Lord, we wanna step into this new life that you have for us. And, and I just pray with those of you that are praying, we just say, Jesus, we surrender our life to you. We repent of our sin. We wanna trust you for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be saved. And Lord, for many of us, we're saying no. We're saying, Lord, we choose to walk away from the grave clothes, from the sin that has entangled us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are helping us in that. We thank you that you're surrounding us with people who are helping us with that. But we are choosing to walk fully into the new life with the new wardrobe that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to respond together. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're singing two songs. One of them is called Waymaker, and I just want you to believe and receive as we sing this song over you. If you've committed your life to Christ in the past or right now, that Jesus is making a way. That even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it, he is at work in your circumstances. And, and some of us may want to receive communion in that to remember what he's done. Some of us need prayer, and I'd encourage you to just use our prayer options uh, in the chat. We'd love to pray for you. And some of us, need to repent of our sin. And we're just gonna receive these words over us. We're gonna worship together. Others of us, we're gonna sing a song called Graves in the Gardens at, at the end. And we're just gonna remember that God has taken the graves in our lives, the deficits that we have faced, and he's doing something beautiful out of them. And so let's worship God together. Let's reflect what's God saying to you, and let's respond to him as we worship.